This podcast was brought to you by Budweiser, official beer of the FA Cup. Drink Budweiser sensibly and visit drinkaware.ie. Wasn't it? it wasn't a classic. Did you expect us to, Tony? Do you expect us to come here just to please you, the media? Because we don't come here to please you. We come here to win. And Gerard Stunning! What a strike! After beating three, four, five players, wonderful, wonderful fit to win any football match. Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the Bulls.ie FA Cup podcast in association with Budweiser. Today's guest is the man with arguably one of the most interesting Wikipedia bylines in Irish sport. It's Kevin Moran, who won two All-Ireland football titles with Dublin before crossing the channel uh, to conquer other code football. And with Manchester United, he went on to win two FA Cup medals. And he also suffered the ignominy of being the first man to be sent off in an FA Cup final. As so recently, Mikey Trainer of this parish got the opportunity to sit down with Moran to go beyond those first few lines on his Wikipedia page. And that interview is coming your way in about 30 seconds or so. Uh, but while we have you here, we will remind you that the previous three episodes, episodes even, in this podcast series are available still on this podcast feed. So grab your phone, scroll down, and you will find interviews with John Hartson, John Aldridge, and Tony Cascarino. Uh, also here is our weekly football show podcast and the Friends in Football series, where we sit down with football luminaries as they talk us through the biggest influence on their careers. Uh, but now, I think that's enough plugging for one day, let's get to Mikey Trainer's interview with the great Kevin Moran. So, Kevin Moran, thank you very much for uh, taking some time out to chat to us at Balls of today. We're uh, we're here uh, to talk about the FA Cup, thanks to Budweiser. Um, obviously, you've won it twice, so in terms of memories, you've got a few to pick out from. Is there one that any time you think of the FA Cup, you immediately associate from your playing career? <laughs> well, there is one, obviously. Yeah, but, um, sure. I think it's one more um, everybody else that knows about the FA Cup associates me with, and that has to be 85. Yeah. Because of the fact that I was the first player ever to be sent off in an FA Cup final. Um, and for me, I suppose, it's maybe because of that makes it a little bit different, but it's the fact that we went and won the game. Because it's one thing playing in an FA Cup final. Yeah. It's like any player, you know, you do want to play in one, but, but it's so important to have to win it. I'm sure as well, and you said it yourself there, a winning final, that, that stat line is something that, you know, is constantly associated, the first man to get sent off in an FA Cup final, everybody everybody talks about it, everybody knows about it, but it's, it makes a big difference when you've won the match, when you've gone on to win the game, like it's something that I'm sure you've absolutely no regrets over. Yeah, absolutely, you know, people have still come up to me and afraid to talk to me about it because of the fact they think it's just such a stigma to have to yeah. be the first player to be sent off. But there is none attached to because <laughs> I won all. the game. We won, well, not I won. We, we won the game. Yeah. You know, and at the end of the game, people, you know, they do know it, but they forget that it's a team game. And it's yeah. all about the end result for players when they get there, about the supporters when they get there as well. And we've come away with the FA Cup after in 85. And that's what it's all about, regardless of whether I got sent off, whether your player broke his leg. You know, all these things will sort itself out. But if you lose the game... You can sort that yeah, out. It's done. Big time. But so when you when it happened when when you did get sent off, did you know that no one had ever 
been sent off in an no, ethical final, no. or is this something that you were informed a, of? After? I had not a clue about it. Absolutely no idea. You don't go into a game thinking, oh, do you know what? Nobody's have all been the sent stats off. in their back of the head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not a stat you think about it. And I can't. Then, I can't believe the FA Cup got to 1983 without anybody getting sent <laughs> off in the final. Yeah, exactly. Got as far as 85, and nobody got oh, sent yeah, off. Sorry. But you must remember as well. Um, I remember there was an incident a few years before, um, a good few years before, late 70s, I think it was. Um, Arsenal were in the cup final, and Willie Young, their centre back, um, was running back for a player, and he was in front of him, and he just pulled him back. Yeah. Right. But it was just a booking in those days. Okay, yeah. you know, and the guy was straight through <laughs> to score a goal. Yeah. You know, so the rules have changed an awful lot. And um, I think if you look up if you look about it now, I think since since eighty five when I got sent off, I think three more players have been yeah. sent off in the FA Cup final. And there was a big there was sort of a because it was the first time that it happened, there was sort of a dilemma as to your involvement with the celebrations. I, I, I was, I've been informed that maybe, there, I think there was a, a squad holiday away when you found out that you were actually going to get the medal. So it was in doubt up until that point. It, it was because of the fact that, um, I was only told I didn't know this, of course. Um, Ron Atkinson said to me just before we went up the steps to collect the medals, he says, oh, b- by the way, Kevin, um, you can't collect your medal um, because you've been sent off. Yeah. And I went, why is that? <laughs> Listen, I don't know. Um, and I just I got the impression as if I couldn't collect it, but maybe in in the dressing room after yeah. for me afterwards, but th- that wasn't the case. And uh, but he said you go on up the um, steps anyway, and uh, you deserve that. So I went up the steps. And I remember going up the steps. If I put my hand there, I would have collected a medal yeah. anyway because yeah. the guys at the top that were giving me, I didn't know anything about it. That's, but that's I didn't actually. I actually said to them, um, "No, I, I I can't take the medal," um, and uh, so. Uh, there was a little bit of a hullabaloo about us with the FA and all the rest yeah. of it, and there was a lot of media attention for the next few days. Should he get a medal? Why isn't he getting the medal? And all the rest of it. And in the end, I think they decided while we were on a flight, because after the game, um, United took us away to Trinidad and Tobago, and on that flight, I remember the captain finding out <laughs> via his his media sense that um, um, he, he got the news from I think it was from BBC as well that uh, all of a sudden that uh, FA had decided to give me my medal. Well, that's crazy. <laughs> on the flight it over, that's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, and, and was he, there kind of a, a celebration on the plane or yeah, a, there was cheer a few drinks all around? <laughs> yeah. Cheers already! You got Brilliant. your medal as well. But you, you look back and you think, well, why would I not give you the medal? Yeah, you know, that's it wasn't crazy. Like there was a precedent before saying that you can't get it. This was the first time ever, and um, so you, you think back and it does surprise you. You know who came up with the idea of, of telling Ron yeah. Atkinson because someone had to tell Ron. Oh, by the way, he, he can't get his medal. And now we see the reverse of it now we see players who weren't in the final squad be it injury or suspension they're in the full kit and they're down on the pitch getting their medal and yeah, celebrating every, everybody so gets the medal the full way. Yeah, so the yeah. I think yeah you were kind of the first and now everybody knows yeah. on from there we'll, we'll talk more about your uh, playing involvement in the FA Cup in a moment but uh, going back to your childhood what are your kind of memories of FA Cups and obviously FA Cup finals would have been a big deal back when you were growing up yeah it would have been because at, at in my day, you know, there was nothing like what we've got now in terms of Sky, etc., yeah. etc. So the the main emphasis was always on match of the day, right? So that was where you got all your football from was match of the day, and um, everybody clued into that, watched it, watched the games, watched the goals, uh, and whatever was shown. Except there was only one game that was really live throughout the whole year, and that was the FA Cup final. And I always remember it. It started at about nine or ten o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And I went through. The, the, they did the build-up. They did the players in the hotel. The players having their breakfast. The players getting on the, the coach going to the, um, 
uh, to Wembley, and they just made it into a huge occasion, right? And that's what I remember mm. the FA Cup being all about, this unbelievable day where it just took over. And that's what made it really so special. So it was always an incredible trophy that I think, as growing up as a kid, you know, you looked upon and you went, everybody wants to win an FA Cup medal if you're yeah. to play soccer. It's the that, one you're scoring that, in, the, in your, in your garden. It's the FA so Cup, much, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Um, and then uh, that, that seems like a good place to, to bring it in. You, on the other side now, when you're a player, how was it to deal with, with that type of stuff? Obviously, by the time your first FA Cup final rolled around, it was a bit different in terms of the football coverage. But being on the focus of that all-day attention, how did that affect you going into what you knew already was a massive game? Yeah, it, it, it affects you in a way. It affected me a lot, I thought, in 83, being the first one. Um, I remember feeling that I just got a little bit too tensed up before the game. I remember feeling that way as well before it. You kind of like legs, legs felt heavy during the game, and it just took a while for that to get loosened up. And I just think you built yourself up too much. Now experience tells you later, you know what to do, yeah. and how to get over things like that. And um, but no, definitely I, I felt '83, you know, the cup final, you know, wouldn't have been my best. I thought, and um, as as a result of that. You know, you're just delighted that we came away at that particular time yeah. with a replay because we didn't play particularly well against Brighton and we were lucky to get the replay in the end. And even with the replay, I think it was five days after or however many days after it was, could you notice a big difference in like, okay, we've been through it before? Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I don't know whether it helped the other players and the other team as well, but the experience you've had before certainly does help. Um, I don't think there was as much um, build-up to it that there would have been to the first game. The replay is a little bit more, kind of like a bit subdued, but you wouldn't have had the, the media attention, yeah. all the cameras watching you, what you're eating and all the rest of it. There, there, there wouldn't have been that extent. But the game itself went really well for yeah. us. You know, we were 3-0 up by half-time. You know, Arnold Muren scored the fourth. And I can remember, you know, looking around the stadium. And it's never you get a chance to do that. Even in any game, even in a league game, you never do yeah. it. But this was Wembley knowing that you've won this game and there's about 20 minutes to play and I can just remember just thinking looking around taking in the supporters taking in everything and just really enjoying the moment <coughs> excuse me which is something you don't get often often the opportunity to do no and I'd say there's not many many people that can say they've been afforded that uh, that luxury but the, the the 83 and the 85 cup winning teams there wasn't a whole lot of change in, in the starting 11. I think there was maybe eight of the same players started the, the second final or something along those lines. But w what sort of characteristics does a team need to, to win a cup and then to stay together and then to launch another successful cup campaign so soon on the back of it? Well, you must remember the Ems is still in those days for United were still on the league. Yeah. You know, we hadn't won the league for a long, long time. And <clears throat> from a player's point of view, You'd won the FA Cup. We'd also been to the League Cup, the Milk League Cup final that year as well. So we knew we had the background to a, a good team, you know, and the, the whole idea was to kick on then as well and move on to the next level and bring in some better players then as well just to, um, to make us a, make a good challenge for the league because that was our priority, I would have thought. The Cup is never something that you prioritise from the start of a season. Yeah. It's always about the league. And when you think about it, the Cup only starts in January. Yeah. So you've got an awful lot of league games before that. So that's where you want to do well. Um, but once the FA Cup kicks in, well, then obviously the further you go in it, the more you know you think about we're closer to Wembley, and it is the mystique of Wembley that, that draws you close to it. You know, the, everybody talks about it as a player to get to Wembley yeah. to play in an FA Cup final at Wembley is always something a bit special, a bit romantic, and, and it still is today. 
And obviously that team was full of leaders. I'm thinking at the time you've got Brian Robson, who's this this poster boy for English football, and you've got a lot of young talent coming through. Norman Whiteside, How, did like are you kind? You obviously you're at centre back. Your job is to mind house yeah. and kind of let those players go out and do it. What's it like having someone like Brian Robson in in that in the the type of player that he was at the time to kind of just be like sort us out there yeah. <laughs> and get a goal for us? Well, Brian was just awesome. You know what I mean? And at that particular time. I'd have no doubt in saying that Brian Robson was the best player in England playing in English football at the time playing for England he was you know playing for Manchester United was he was just a great inspiring player as well all around from almost from the way he played but he was also vocal as well you know he he, he was the perfect captain and um, probably alongside Paul McGrath the best player I ever played with you mentioned there Paul McGrath that 85 final uh, if you're remembered for being the first man to set, get sent off, Paul McGrath is remembered for having a colossal game in, in that one. It was like every Everton attack kind of fe- bounced off him for, for a while there. Could you sense that on the pitch at the time? Can you sense like Paul's having an absolute stormer here? And of course, he'd go, yeah. on, he'd go on to have a couple of high-profile stormers for Ireland, of course he does, uh, yeah. namely against Roberto Baggio. I thought you were going to say, do you remember that Paul was the one who, who, who the pass he sent me was yeah. short, which got yeah, him sent yeah. off. Yeah, he had <laughs> been having a great game. So I always remember Paul saying to me afterwards, I would have given you my medal, by the way, if I didn't if really? I realized you weren't going to get one. <laughs> wow. And I said to him, ah, Paul, that would be typical of him then yeah. as well, really. But um, no, you're right. But Paul had been awesome for us all season since yeah. he got into the United team as well. You know, everybody knew that. The players especially knew it. Uh, we knew what he was like from training, from what, what he could give to the game as well. And it was great to play alongside him. Uh, now, as it was with a lot of the players we had, we, we had a really good team. Yeah. That was the time we had, like, Strachan on the right wing with um, Jesper Olsen on the left, with Whiteside, Stapleton up front, you know. Yeah. All around, you know, it was a really strong team. And the names you mentioned there, Strachan, Whiteside, McGrath, yourself, there was a real, and this is something that I wanted to ask you uh, as soon as I found out I was doing this thing, is Irish players, Scottish players, English players, that's the core of that side. Today, when you look at Manchester United, you, that Irish connection, and it's the reason, like, I'm a Manchester United fan, the reason yeah. I support the club is because Dennis Irwin and Roy Keane, so the, the Irish tradition would have been so strong at Manchester United. Is it a bit sad to kind of see now obviously the game has changed so much and there's players from all over the world and Manchester United is now a club where they would you know aspire to play at but is there there's got there's got to be a bit of sadness it's absolutely sadness yeah absolutely it's terrible I think you know yeah. what I mean and it is true the game has changed so much you know you don't look now at at, at Scotland or Wales or Ireland or Northern Ireland to look to get the players to come to Old Trafford it's a global lookout now. You go to Europe, you go to the South America, you look anywhere to where you think you can get the best players to come in. And sometimes I'm not 100% sure whether yeah. that is, is the right right line to go down because at times I think there's players there that have done well from Scotland, from Ireland, whatever, and they just don't get possibly the opportunity or the chance to get in there. You look at, well, Robbie Brady's yeah. in Ireland uh, at Manchester United and he's had to move on and look how well he's done. And you just think if other players were to give to get the opportunity or the chance, you know, could they flourish? You just don't know. And it is sad. It is sad, I think, that there is no connection at all now between, you know, the, at Manchester United and um, Ireland. Now, this is players playing in the, in, in the first in, team. Yeah. Hopefully, 
there may be one or two coming through now at the moment, but it is so, so difficult to, to, to break through into the first It time. does feel like a long time since Ireland have had a, a young player break through at a Man United or a, or a Liverpool even, or an Arsenal. Yes. Like, I can't, like, is John O'Shea maybe John one O'Shea, of the last ones? Johnny Evans, they yeah. were in the same era then as well, really. And it is, you know, you look back and it's that long, you know, I mean, that when is the last one that's broken through then as well? And the expectations are always so high when players go over there, you know, and it's just unfortunate now with the system, the way they have it, because sometimes players go out and loan, yeah. come back, and, you know. And I think that's a big part of it as well. It, and it's just not the same, and, or else you've just got to be so exceptional. You know, you stand out so much from the rest of the crowd that you're just going to break through into the first team. And uh, so, ta- so take me back to your first experience then in of a FA Cup final in 1983. And you've said before you'd seen and you touched on kind of the fanfare that goes through. There's a, that strikes me that there's a lot of time between you getting up, waking up, and starting your day before kickoff. So how do you occupy your mind in the hours in between, knowing that well, you've got you, this? You try time and ahead? go through the same ritual that you'd go through for, say, an ordinary league game. You know, it, it is a bit different because of the media attention around you. Like, as you say, the cameras are all there that, all that morning. So when you go for a walk, the cameras are on you then as well. You, you get this sense of there's something special happening today, which, of course, there is. It's the FA Cup final. Um, as opposed to a league game, you go out for your walk, there's nobody there. So you go and you get on with it, you come back, you're in your hotel room on your own, then you go for a bite to eat, you get your pre-match meal. All that in a league basis is no problem, you're used to it. FA Cup day, you're having your breakfast or your lunch before the game, and there's cameras everywhere. Yeah. There's cameras on the coach going to the game. So you've got this sense of, wow, this is something big. This is something huge. And then you're told what the media audience is. You know, TV audience around the world, it's like 100 million or something like that. So it's just incredible to, if you were to take it on, it could, you know, really, you know, possibly overcome you in some ways that yeah. you mightn't perform. But it's important just to realise that as much as you can do, it's, it's another game that has to be played on a pitch. And then Wembley itself is another reason as well. It's, that's an awesome stadium to play. Yeah, in. absolutely. And the attendances then, I think there was close to 100,000 at that, at that first one. That's it's, right, yeah. And that's obviously different to, yeah. to playing well, in the stadium. We playing the time. It, you know what I mean? Even though you're playing at Old Trafford all the time and, you know, attendances there were up in 56,000, 60,000 or so, um, you still come into a venue that's Wembley, you know, the home of football, the home of the FA, the home of... And it just has that sense of, as I said, romance, nostalgia about it, that you just think, yes, this is something really special. So after after those FA Cup final wins, there's there's changes at Manchester United. Sir Alex Ferguson comes in, and obviously that's kind of mar- marks the end of your time at Manchester United. But could you get a sense then that something special was kind of brewing? Because obviously Manchester United would go on to dominate the 90s. Yes, there was. It wasn't there when I was there. I had two years under um, Alex Ferguson when he was there. And I must admit, um, you, you, you didn't get the sense that what, what happened was going to happen. Yeah. He had a lot of changes he wanted to try and make. And even when I left, nothing happened for about at least another two years afterwards. You know? yeah. And it wasn't until he actually in the FA Cup run and... I think a lot was down to Mark Robbins, I think, who scored. Yeah, goals absolutely. Well. I think his job and was on the line there when right. that goal goes in. His job was really on the line. Yeah. The, the general feeling would have been that if United got knocked out of the FA Cup, he was nearly gone. Yeah. Because in the league, there was no real advancement. There was no sense of like the, the club is going in the right direction. Because All the eggs were in the FA Cup basket yeah, there. Only, only because the, the league positions over all the years, it wasn't yeah. like as if he'd finished you know, in the top two or three. It was sixth and seventh and eighth and... 
Um, so there was, there, there was a lot of work to be done. But then all of a sudden, when it clicked in with the FA Cup victory, which the following season they won the European yeah. Cup Winners' Cup, and then that was it. The year after came the league. And then it just didn't stop then. It was like as if we'd gone into a role then as well. And Alex Ferguson came out on top and, and rightly so. Been yeah. The greatest manager ever. Absolutely. And um, so then after Man United, you, you, you went to Spain. You played for Sporting Gijon. That's, uh, that's something that fascinates me. I, I wish more Irish internationals were playing abroad because what it does is it gives Irish fans an excuse to follow a league and to follow a team <laughs> in a league. So what I'll ask you is, is firstly, how did that, how did that move come about? Well, the move came about because I can remember at the end of the previous season, um, Alex Ferguson said to me, listen, Kevin, he said, um, I'll let you go. And I said, that's fine. Okay, no problem. And he says, you can find yourself a club. And at one stage, it looked like there was a lot of interest from Manchester City in me. And um, I thought I might go, you know, cross the road, okay. um, which I possibly would have done. Um, but that didn't materialise. But then that was Euro 88s were coming along. And then I played in the European Championships of 88. And, as you know, Ireland did really well. Yeah. And, I probably did okay myself. And from that came right. the interest from Sporting Keon. They would have been watching the games and they came in and liked what they saw and asked me over and we sat down. I said, yeah, great idea, great challenge to take. It was at a time when I could do it because I, um, my wife was all up for it as well. We had a young family. Um, the eldest lad, Dara, was only three years of age then okay. and Rachel was only six months. So it was a time you could go abroad then. Yeah. You, know? you weren't taking them out of school. It wasn't going to interrupt that too much. And so it was a fantastic experience, and uh, both on and off the field. And now, like it, it doesn't really happen anymore like that. I mean, at the time, you had the likes of Frank Staples and Tony Cascarino made their way to France. We had obviously the history that we had with Syria and Irish players there. But now, now you don't really see that anymore. And would you say that's again a, a symptom of of how the game has changed? And it's it's a symptom of not so much how the game has changed. It's a symptom of how much the financial money has come into the Premiership more than anything else. Okay. Because you must remember, when I went over there, Gary Lineker had just gone to Barcelona. Yeah. Later on, Ian Rush was going to go to Juventus. Mark Hughes went over later on to Barcelona. Now, they might well say, it. oh, we went over there for the experience of football. The reality is they went over there because the money was better. The money was so much better than what it was in, in, in the league then as yeah. it was then. Um, or, or later to become the Premiership. That's the reason why they, they would have gone over. So later on, as you say, there's not, there's no exodus of any English players or anybody else going to Europe because the money they're receiving in, in the Premiership is so vast that they don't need to go. And do you feel, from the club's point of view, is there something about Irish players today that they maybe don't fancy in their team? I like because well, I remember. You'd see even Robbie Keane going to the LA Galaxy. You'll see Irish flags in the stands. And I remember I was watching a game that Jack Byrne played on loan at SC Camber in in the Eredivisie in Holland, and there's an Irish flag there. Yeah, yeah. So like, I mean, I just it, it just does it seem it's difficult for me to understand why other, especially when you see how we did at Euro 2016, why other countries and managers in other leagues seem reluctant to take Irish players I, over. I, I don't think it's a reluctance. I think they could take them, but they can't give them the money that they're okay. already on. Yeah. You know, even if you look at a player that's playing in the championship that's plays for yeah. Ireland then as well, if you, if they were to go to a Dutch club in even in their Premier League or whatever, I can guarantee you they won't offer them as much money. So yeah. you're thinking, well, why am I going over there if I'm going to get less money than what I can get here? And if I play well in the championship, I might get a premiership club and then even my money will even go up all the more. So it's the consequence of the financial situations yeah. is the reason why players don't go abroad. You know, before, 
you know, you would look at going abroad, even from the football experience, but you did so as well because of the monetary situation. It's a shame for Irish fans, or at least for me, because <laughs> yeah. I like staying up and watching obscure yeah, leagues. Yeah. But while you were at Sporting, am I, am I right in saying that you, your roommate there was Luis Enrique? Well, he wasn't my roommate, but he came into the team okay. just at the end um, while I was there. And I remember him you know, breaking through as well. And he was only a, a skinny young lad of about 17 years of age. But you could tell his great ability you know, and the ball, his movement, you know, and the ball as well was fantastic. And um, you always thought, hey, this guy's got a great chance. But, well, you, you, but once again, you never know. Yeah. You know, and, and I've often seen that with players. Some players you think can really break through and they don't. Others go and break through and become major stars as Luis, Luis Enrique did. And there was another guy who came into the team as a centre-back who I played alongside was Abelardo. Oh, and wow. Abelardo went and played with Barcelona as well and with Spain. Um, that's an interesting point you raise about seeing players that have all the potential in the world. From your time, whether it be at Manchester United or, or at Sporting, was there one player you think you thought at the time he's destined to be a top, top player and then maybe didn't go on to, to live up that potential? Um, hard to think back on that now, just to think of a player mm. that you know just sticks out in my mind. And maybe that they really turned it on yeah, in training and yeah, they didn't quite they, do it in the you, game. You sometimes get players that you think... Um, yeah, he's got an opportunity. He's got he's got the ability. It's hard for me to pick out a player that did it, but there's a lot of players I thought with the talent, that and 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 the skill ability, but then they lacked something else yeah. afterwards. You know what I mean? They lack something, whether you call it between the two ears, between <laughs> sure. upstairs, whether you lack it having the, the in that in their heart the commitment there because you need it in three areas really for me. You need it down below in your feet. You need it in, in here in your heart, your commitment. And then you need it, most importantly of all, between your ears as regards your knowledge and yeah. how to deal with the situation, the pressure. And that is key to making up the, the ingredients that it's going to take you to become a top, top player. And then you came back to English football with Blackburn. And uh, obviously you, you would have played in teams that would go on and, and challenge for the title and, and be really successful. What was the makeup like there in terms of your teammates and, and the squad compared to, to what you'd achieved with the Manchester United teams? Well, it, it changed dramatically when I came back to Blackburn. I always felt I came back a far better player from my experience with Sporting Keyhorn, just in the way it played over there. And that I, I always remember that. But as regards the team I came back in, it was very much... At the time, it, the Premiership wasn't there, so we were just a, a League Two team and um, trying to get into the English League One. Yeah. And we got into the, when well, I came back in the April of 90, and we made it to the, uh, there was playoffs then, and we made it to the end, but never got any further. And then, as a result, we went backwards then after that, and the following year, you know, we were a team that struggled. But by then, Jack Walker had come very much to the forefront yeah. who owned Blackburn Rovers, and he was beginning to start to pump some money in. And you could see that with the quality of players we were trying to sign then as well. And then it was only when really Kenny Dalglish came in the beginning of the following season that really the money came in, and then it took off, and we gained promotion that same year as, as Kenny took over. And can you, have you got any FA Cup memories that stand out from your time at Blackburn? Yes, there was one particular one, I think. Um, uh, it was would you believe it it was the second time I got sent off and that was in an <laughs> FA Cup game at Ewood Park against Liverpool um, and I always remember it was a ball over the top and I was pretending I was looking at the ball but I wasn't really I was trying to block <laughs> okay. he rushed to trying to get <laughs> yeah. to it and um, I thought I might get away with this if the referee didn't quite say but he, 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 saw, it, he saw it or what I was, what <laughs> I was doing 
and um, he, he, he sent me off on it. But that, yeah, so amazingly, the two sendings off I've ever had were in the FA Cups. That's <laughs> that is, that's remarkable. But um, I was going to ask you there just about that Blackburn team as well. Um, I'm after losing my train of thought before my final question there. One thing that you were going to say, yeah, no, sorry, I was going to ask you about something you said about sporting Hihon. Is you said you, you feel like you came back from Spain a much more improved player. What kind of difference was being exposed to a different culture yeah, of football it was a entirely? Football culture, um, from the point of view of um, when we played in the league, even with United, the football then it was, it was like 100 miles per hour. It was just all oh, get the ball down, get yeah. it down the wings, get it across, put it in the box. Yeah. It was all go, go, go. Uh, even with United, you couldn't put three or four passes across the back. You'd have the crowd on your back. Yeah. You'd have the crowd be gone, get the ball forward. And it's so different today. I go to, you know, a lot, a lot of Man United games. I've got a couple of season tickets. And um, I go there and you sit back and you watch them pass it, knock it around, keep it. And the one thing that does fascinate me a little bit is that if ever they put a, a ball astray, right, you can hear the crowd going, the grounds, you know, yeah. oh, 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 terrible, you know. And I remember in my day, that was not an issue if you, if you had a misplaced pass. Because inevitably, a lot of the passes you were doing, you were putting them forward, they were longer, maybe a longer, longer ball, but even whatever. They never got on it because they knew you were trying to get the ball forward. The game has changed so much now that it's all about possession and trying to get through and break open with passes more than anything else. But I must admit, you know, my day, that, w- that, w- that wasn't the case. That's very interesting because I think this is, uh, we've, we've seen it a lot this season as well with such a fight for the top spots. I think Jurgen Klopp has said in Anfield, he can feel the tension and that if things aren't going their way 20 minutes into the game the atmosphere kind of turns but what you're describing there is something that I would have thought of people saying is the Manchester United way of playing is attack you know attacking football it, it, so it's interesting that it, in it your is day. attacking football but so is Liverpool yeah. but it's the way they play now you know even though Manchester United can play an attack you can play attacking football and get the ball down the corner flag and you can't now rip the ball across put it but no, they don't, because they look up and they don't see anybody in the box, so they have to come back out and yeah. back out again and out to the other side and back to the halfway line and it could end up with the goalkeeper. Yeah. And that and that frustrates the crowd, you know what I mean, watching the game, you know what I mean, more than anything else. Whereas in my day, it was all about get the ball wide, get in the box, and you knew there was going to be two or three players yeah. in the box, because that was their job to get in the box. And if it broke down, it was their job to get back again and then get forward again. So there was a lot more action happening where at least I, I, I felt that the crowds were watching something and they were just felt, oh, wow, ow, there was a, they were allowed to tackle. You know, there was a lot more involvement of a crowd in a game than at times there is now where it can go very, very quiet. You know, and that's what you feel that tension then as club would talk about because at times the crowd is quiet and then the next thing you hear from them, it isn't like a cheer to get behind it. The team, it's kind of like a boot. Exasperation, it's yeah. Exasperation yeah. more than anything else. And another, obviously, because of their recent struggles, that that's evident when you watch Arsenal lately. We're talking about the FA Cup the night, the day after Arsenal have just beaten Sutton United in the in the FA Cup. And from me watching the build up and the coverage to that, you could tell that everybody really wanted to see an upset in that. Uh, you know, the minnow beating the Premier League team and the magic of the FA Cup. That cliche comes out a lot. Um, in your playing days, was there ever? Did you have maybe not lower league opposition, but even just a couple of divisions below you? And how difficult is it, especially at a club like Manchester United, when you you have that target on your back? How difficult is it to get yourself up and motivated for a game like that? Because especially it when you know, be, but it does happen. Yeah, you know, the, the, we talk about the um, 
the romance of the FA Cup, but also what goes with that are the upsets yeah. in the FA Cup. It's endless, the number of them when you go back. This season, we've seen some, yeah. seen some of the biggest ones ever. Biggest one has got to be Lincoln City away to Premiership. Incredible results, yeah. Incredible result. You know, you never thought that could happen. Burnley drew with Chelsea the week yeah. before. <laughs> and before that, they've won their last eight yeah. home games or something yeah. like that. So, it, just an incredible result. Uh, but that always is typical of the FA Cup. But you go back to your question as regards what during my time. We won the FA Cup in 83. Following season 84, I, I didn't play in the game, was injured. But we went away to play Bournemouth. Now, we're Division 1, yeah. Bournemouth Division 4. They beat us 2-0. We're out of the FA Cup in the first, in the third round, the yeah. first round for when the clubs come in, the big clubs come in. So that was, once again, huge shock. But you would have been sure that place would have been... Absolutely rocking. Would have been yeah. Absolutely rocking from the rafters with a result like that. And all of their players know that this is the this biggest is game. And is that exactly. is that what presents the problem? Is you know what you're going to face from them, but to you, it's it's. But they it's just build themselves up so much. The crowd do as well. They probably give themselves. They find an extra ten or fifteen percent from somewhere that they probably can't find week in week out when they're playing their league games. So yes, that's what makes the FA Cup just that so special. That's the reason why people talk about it in that light. So they want the minnows to do well and inevitably so many times that happens uh, before I let you go I'll have one more question this is kind of a recurring theme we have on our podcast that we ask our guests that we have this year I'm going to put you on the spot and I'm going to ask you to think back to all the teammates you've played with and can you pick out two that were the most impressive to you day in day out on the training pitch so these are guys that you would have trained with and gone like that is maybe that's the standard that's well, that's easy because I've just I've already mentioned them. Okay, that's Brian Robson and Paul McGrath. Brilliant, thanks very much. Uh, it's been great to talk to you. Obviously, the FA Cup continues uh, this year, and we'll be rolling out a few more of these podcasts. So keep stay tuned to that. Kevin Warren, thank you very much for talking to Bosley. No problem. That's